into TIC and what you guys do, you know, who is Anna Dunlop? That's, that's what we want to know first off. That's what everyone wants to know. Um, so I, um, I'm the executive director of the Talking Information Center. Um, you know, I always say I live in Hanson right down here on the South Shore. Are you from the South Shore originally? I, I am, yeah. I lived in Malden uh, for a little bit up until I was in the third grade, um, and I, I love it there very much. But, yeah, we moved here to Situate when I was in the fourth grade. And so, yeah, pretty much spent all of my childhood here, and I've, I've lived in this area ever since. You know, I commuted to Bridgewater State University. It was Bridgewater State College when yeah. I started there. And mine was actually the first graduating class as a university, <laughs> which was exciting. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I went to Bridgewater State. Um, my husband and I lived in Rockland for a little while. We live in Hanson now, and, and we just love it down here. So what were you doing prior to TIC? Yeah, so before uh, the Talking Information Center, you know, I always say I've been really lucky because mm -hmm. I've worked in the health and human service okay. field for a long time. Uh, so right before TIC, I was working at Gateway Arts in Brookline, uh, which is a community um, um, art studio for adults with disabilities. Uh, so essentially, they serve over 100 adults uh, that come in. They have about eight art studios, uh, and these individuals come in and make really incredible art. Uh, mm -hmm. And they do it as a means uh, for our career. Um, and so the, they, we sell their art in you know, our store and the, and the art gallery and things like that. And, and I was their finance manager. And it was a ton of fun because my office was right in the hub of everything. So all the artists would go by you know, all the time. And they also knew I was the one who paid them. <laughs> uh, so they, they always knew when it was payday. And they always come in and check in and ask if their checks were ready. Um, so I, I just absolutely love being in this world and being uh, around that community and just feeling like something I'm doing, even though at Gateway I wasn't providing those direct supports to the but artists. involved in the organization. But just knowing something I was doing was playing a role in, in helping them, you know, just live, you know, sustainable, independent lives in some capacity. So how did you get involved with TIC? So it was really fortunate. So I actually knew Jim Bunnell before uh, he and I worked at the Talking Information Center before. Um, and I had known him for probably about a year or two. Um, and so he became the executive director of the Talking Information Center about uh, five years ago, and he knew that I worked in health and human services and with people with disabilities, and he was looking for an assistant director and asking if I would be interested, so it, it worked out really nicely. Uh, Gateway Arts, I love it so much, but it was in Brookline, you know, as I said, I lived down here, and there were some days where it would be an hour and a half drive yeah, one way. It was a lot, so going from that to driving from Rockland every time to Marshfield was much nicer. Um, and the mission of TIC is so fantastic, and I knew I would still be, you know, performing service in a job I was still doing. So all that really matters to me at the end of the day. So I'm an executive director. You're an executive director. That's a, it's a title that's really interesting because you're, you, it encompasses a lot. Yes. <laughs> I know in my end I do a lot of different things on a daily basis. Talk about what the role of the executive director at Talking Information Center. Yeah, I, I don't know if you feel like this, but I always feel it's hard to sound humble when you're talking about it because oh. you wear so many different hats. Yeah. And I'm not, and I, you aren't either someone who's like, oh, I'm so great. But, you know, you really do wear so, it's like, what don't you do, right? That's how I feel. And exactly. You know, um, we always joke about the, the hashtag nonprofit life and how it's really, you know, we love what we do, but it's not so glamorous. It's like sometimes you're, like, doing the really nitty-gritty stuff, like, cleaning the recording studios, you know, trying to keep, you know, keeping everything squared away, and then doing really high-level stuff, like fighting for your funding through the state level to make sure your mission can keep going. So it's really just touching on everything from state funding and fundraising, private fundraising, and, of course, overseeing the program, the mission, um, the marketing, uh, just everything. But I, I feel really fortunate, and I imagine you do too, because I know your staff, that 
I always say I have the easiest job in the world because we have such an amazing staff that Absolutely. they just do what they do so incredibly. And I just, I'm like, great, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you just, really you just let them do their thing. Right? I, they're really autonomous and they require kind of zero micromanagement of anyone that comes in every day. And they just, um, you know, get it done. And they come up with amazing ideas. You know, um, our producer, John Shea, talks about so many good ideas in the day. And it's, it's a lot of fun because we're such a small staff. Mm-hmm. I feel like we're able to implement what we want to implement without having to cut through a lot of red tape. So if a listener calls and there's something they need, we all, you know, shout at each other from our offices because it's such a small <laughs> space, right? And and then we're like, great, good idea, let's do it. Like, how do we do it? And we figure out a plan and, and we go. So it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's definitely the case because it's very similar to having your show down the hall to someone. Right. <laughs> and, and, and having a staff like that, too, is great because you, you, you basically your job, you, you're not micromanaging Right, exactly. If you're taking the idea and then just helping it along the yeah. way if, it, if you find that you might need some help along the way. So for those that don't know what the Talking Information Center is, can you tell us what it does? Yeah, so the Talking Information Center, we're a nonprofit reading service for people who want to become audio vision. So we do over 322 readings every single week, and we broadcast it over our radio station. We're a statewide service, so we reach all corners of Massachusetts, and we even uh, because of COVID and the pandemic and the internet. Mm-hmm. And we even have reached some people around the world. Um, and so we're able to do all of that reading and read all those programs with the help of our volunteers. And so we have over 200 volunteers who come to our monthly studios who are located here and provide all this great, important reading for our listeners. Um, we read anything and everything, like anything mm-hmm. that we want to cover anything that you and I with sight have access to. Um, so we read all newspapers, again, like high-level international newspapers, you know, the Wall Street Journal, you know, then we get a little more local, the Boston Globe, you know, we get more local, the Puget Ledger, yeah. all the way to the Marshfield Mariner, because all that matters to our listeners. And, in fact, we find that the hyper-local is almost more important, um, especially, I feel like, now more than ever with COVID, which I'm sure you've experienced, too. Um, and then we read magazines um, as well, again, and we make sure we cover all topics, all sides of the spectrum. We don't editorialize. We're not choosing what you're listening to. You know, we're covering every subject matter, every viewpoint, so that you can listen to it as a listener and then make your own decision about the topic, just like you and I would if we were reading a newspaper. Um, and so that's really important to us. And Chase, he's been around for a while, right? Yeah, so we've been around for over 42 years now. Yeah, we were founded uh, by Ed Perry, who is the owner of WATV and he had heard, I think there was really only one other reading service uh, that was done by radio at the time. And, you know, in the late 70s was when the institutionalization happened, um, you know, when all these individuals with disabilities, you know, got more rights and they were let out of these institutions. And therefore, you saw this uprising of all these different services and programs uh, for them, which was great. And I think TIC was born out of that. And, uh, Ed, one way that we broadcast is that we uh, broadcast on what's called a subcarrier signal. So there's the FM stations, and that's, you know, when you turn on your car radio, right. that's what you're hearing as a, as a main FM station. But each of those stations has a subcarrier, and that's like what you hear in the grocery store or an elevator or something like that. And so Ed very generously donates WATV's um, subcarrier signal to TIC for us to broadcast on, as do five other large stations across that's the great. state. And that's how we're able to reach so many people. Gotcha. So you guys are talking about all the different content. Who picks the content? 
Um, so do the listeners do? You know, we, like I was saying earlier, you know, we hear from the listeners, we try to implement what they want, um, but and on the more, you know, nitty gritty level, you know, John Scherer, producer, and Julie Cochran, who's our program director, they're the ones who are overseeing the program and the content and really picking out the magazines and the newspapers and things like that for the listeners, and then we pivot when we hear from the listeners as well. Um, and then within those, because when we read a newspaper, it's not like cover to cover, because that would take a very long time. But the volunteers are actually going through, and they're reading first and kind of picking out from each different section what the what the listeners wanted to hear. And again, they make sure they put things in the text section, you know, the both the mm-hmm. different viewpoints in the section maybe, to make sure we're covering everything. So distribution. Uh, some that we've talked about, we've talked about, you know, the radio aspect, mm-hmm. but also the Internet. So talk about how people can get TIC. Yeah, so there's, I always joke, uh, TIC's elevator pitch is, uh, pitch is almost kind of difficult because there's so much to it, and, and it's like that with how to listen. There's a lot of different ways to listen, but the reason why is because we're all about accessibility and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So our listeners range from individuals who are really young and they have low vision, but maybe they're really good with their smartphone, to individuals who are in their 90s and they don't have internet and they don't care to learn how to use internet. So we want to make sure that the way to listen is accessible to everyone. Uh, So one of the main ways to listen is we actually have radios that are only tuned to TIC Mm -hmm. via the subcarrier signal. And that is you plug it in, you turn it on, and it's just TIC. And that way, if you do have low vision or you're completely blind, if you're trying to tune your radio dial, that would probably be a little difficult, right? So we have that way to listen. We have also a similar radio that connects to your Wi-Fi in your home. So it's similar to the previous one, but it connects to your internet directly. Um, And then we have a free smartphone app um, on your Apple or Android device, and you can listen on your iPad and everything like that, um, which is completely free of charge. Uh, The entire service is free, I should should say. Yeah, that's important. It's important. Um, And then you can listen on our website, which is TICMag.org. There's the Listen Live button. There's a phone number that you can call to listen, and then um, one of the newer ways to listen, which has been really exciting, is um, you can ask Alexa or your Google Home device. I remember you talking about that. To play, uh, you just say Alexa, play radio station Talk Information Center, and you'll start hearing our, our streaming, our reading, um, and that's been great because we've seen a huge uptick in people listening that way, which we love because it's connected to the internet, mm-hmm. so you'll always get a clear signal, which is really important to us. Um, and we're happy to hear that so many people with low vision have those devices because they're so handy for even beyond TIC. I right. mean, you know, they'll tell you the weather, the you know, the highlights mm-hmm. from the news, the sunrise, sunset, anything you need to know. Mm-hmm. You can ask Alexa, and I think it's really um, helpful for someone with any sort of disability. Mm-hmm. It's helpful for anyone, I think. Yeah, it you is. know, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of touched upon this, but what's the mission? Yeah. So the mission is to provide reading services to our listeners so that they can live enriched, autonomous lives. It's providing them access to all information that they could possibly want. I think it was either you or Christine James mentioned this one time when we were doing some interviews. You guys talked about the importance of TIC being the voice in the room at some point. Yes, absolutely. That's the intangible mission, and it's so important um, because obviously having information is really important to everyone. Uh, Again, I feel like now more than ever, right? But. but having that voice in the room. So there's a lot of reading services where it's an automated voice, mm-hmm. like the Alexa, like Siri, Cortana, all those different yeah. AI voices. But what our listeners tell us is that the fact that it's a volunteer, a person mm-hmm. reading, 
is so comforting to them, and they feel like it's their connection to the outside world. It's their lifeline. It's a support line for them. You know, I remember when I used to commute to school, and it would be, you know, really early in the morning, it would be dark out, and I always liked turning on the radio because I knew, like, the DJ was up, and I was up, and it was yeah. nice, how, like, just feeling like yeah. it's that friend with you in the car, and I think it's really similar for our listeners, you know. I think what a lot of people don't realize about people with a disability is that they're alone a lot of the time. Not everyone has a caregiver, not everyone has their mom and dad or a sister or a spouse or someone who's there to take care of them, or even if they do, they're not with them all the time. Even if you have someone who's coming in and providing the support, they're there for maybe a few hours a day, a few hours a week, Mm -hmm. and they're, they're alone most of the time. So a lot of our listeners use it just to have that voice in the room. So yeah, it's really, it's a comforting, you know, factor for a lot of people, and to the point where a lot of people ask, you know, how do you become a volunteer, like, do you have to be a professional voice actor, and no, like, you know, we always just look for good people who want to provide an important service and do some good for the community, and the listeners actually love, you know, the, the, you know, the quote-unquote flaws that aren't really flaws, (laughs) and like, the voice, like, the little accents, like, the thick Boston accent, or we really have, we have people who have an Irish accent, or a British accent, and they love that, like, and they get to know the volunteers. Um, a lot of the volunteers will read the same program each week, mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll go on vacation, and the listener will call and be like, where's Steve? Is he okay? Is I, I didn't hear him this week. And you're like, he's fine. He just yeah. went away. We let him have the week off, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a nice connection. Why is the organization so special to you specifically? You know, I just think I have the opportunity to, one thing that I love is it being an executive director is I feel like I get to go out and do a lot of outreach. And I get to speak to a lot of low vision support groups. So I'm actually meeting the people who listen or potential new listeners. And you really see how important that mission is to them. You know, a lot of them, it's like, it's so surprising that something like that exists. And they feel like it's for them. I feel like the low vision community um, here in Massachusetts, is it's very niche. Like, it's very small. And I feel like, therefore, it gets forgotten a lot, Mm -hmm. you know, more so than, you know, maybe other groups of people with disabilities. And so I feel like they do feel really isolated and misunderstood a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's just I love being a part of something that is serving them and helping them feel like they have a a step up, a boost up, and can just live live like everyone else can. What's the most urgent needs here in CIC? I'd say, you know, we have two, I'd say. And one of them is technology-based in that, so the actual radio tower, that technology isn't being kept up with, Mm -hmm. and that's not, that's true of all radio technology, um, even the large FM commercial stations that that you hear. It's just not something that people are investing Mm -hmm. in. Therefore, that subcarrier signal, I feel like it gets like dimmer and dimmer, and therefore if you give someone that radio, they're not always getting the full signal, which of course is not good. And again, not everyone has the internet, so Mm -hmm. we're, we're always trying to figure out a way to get everyone a really clear signal because that's really important to us. Um, and then funding. I mean, I'm sure any nonprofit would say yeah. that, especially right now. You know, um, we are very fortunate to have the majority of our funding provided by the state, actually the Mass Commission for the Blind. And it's, you know, we've always been that way. And of course, you know, during COVID-19, you know, the state budget has been in flux and unknown this whole time up until this week, basically, until next week. Um, so it's really just 
being able to just increase service for our listeners, to just bringing in our funding, whether it's state funding, increasing our private fundraising, so that we can keep doing this free of, of charge to our listeners. You mentioned COVID. How has COVID impacted the organization? So I feel really fortunate in that when COVID hit and when we had to shut down, when everyone had to shut down and kind of be in the office, we were able to pivot, I think, really impressively, again, due to our amazing staff. Um, and due to our amazing volunteers, we had volunteers reach out immediately and be like, can I leave from home? What do I need? I'll buy the equipment. And, mm-hmm. uh, and John Shea, our producer, he put together you know, this, this great step-by-step procedure of how to read from home for them to make it really easy and effortless. So we didn't miss a beat. We were able to keep running our mission throughout the entire pandemic and adding you know, new programming, COVID-specific, because um, we wanted to think about okay, this is really hard and scary for all of us, and now put in that you don't have sight or that you have low vision, Mm -hmm. and you don't, if you go to the grocery store and you normally need a guide, someone to guide you around the store, but there's social distancing, how do you navigate that now? Um, So, and we also wanted to make sure that there was accessible forms of all materials being released by the state, federal, state, whatever, on any levels for people with with low vision. So, for example, um, we read um, Governor Baker's reopening plan that came out back in May, mm-hmm. you know, and we described the graphics on it to make sure that someone with low vision had access to that information. Same with the CARES Act that came out, um, and we made sure that we were running frequent PSAs by the Mass Commission for the Blind that were very specific to someone with uh, low vision, and we did a lot of interviews with the commissioner as well. Uh, so we really tried to keep our finger on the pulse of what someone with low vision would need mm-hmm. during the time of COVID as well. So if someone wants to find more about PIC, what you guys do, maybe wants to get involved, where can they go? How can they find out? Yeah, so they can go to our website, uh, which is ticnetwork.org, um, or they can give us a call. Our, our office number is 781-834-4400. Um, and just to find out more, our website has our whole program schedule up there, You know, our special programming, how to listen, all that information, how to become a volunteer, mm-hmm. um, the kind of events that we have. Um, and then, and then yeah, just to call us as well. You'll, you'll get five of us to talk to. You know, you always know who you're talking to at the office and we'd be happy to meet as well. So as we both know, the, the nonprofit world can be extremely rewarding, but also can be very, very challenging. What's, you know, maybe the biggest challenge you face? I think that's a really great question. Um, so I think at TIC, the biggest challenge that I've faced is, I guess, funding and fundraising. More in that, that it's difficult to get people to understand the importance of this mission. You know, people people like it and they do understand to a certain extent, but really the need and the necessity of it, I don't think people always see it as an essential service, um, even though we hear all the time that it's very essential for a lot of our listeners. You know, isolation is a a growing, it's Mm -hmm. becoming a pandemic all on its own before COVID-19 pandemic hit. You know, um, it was becoming a big health crisis, especially for our rest seniors. So I think biggest obstacles is funding and, and outreach and really making that message really clear to, to yeah. everyone. I was going to say, how do you go out and sell the, the mission to pr- prospective donors and organizations? Yeah, you know, it's just about building those relationships, you know, uh, like you know, it's just about mm-hmm. making connections with people, you know, through different outreach events, which of course has now become mm-hmm. more difficult, right? Um, and just sharing your story, you know, I, I feel like Really, if you're just telling the story, people will fall in love with it, you know, and they'll want to become involved. I just, I don't 
don't see how you couldn't want to help in some way, shape, or form. You know, we get a lot of people who volunteer, people who donate, and it's just a great thing for everyone who wants to listen and participate. And you guys have done a really good job also going through the virtual event format. Thank Talk you. about that. Thank you. Yeah, um, so uh, we have one big annual gala every single year, and this year it was supposed to be on April 2nd. <laughs> so uh, pretty early on, we knew that wasn't going to happen. Right. You know, obviously months of planning have already happened. Um, and so we just decided to pivot to a virtual fundraiser. Um, and not a lot of them had happened yet because it was still really early on. So we didn't have a lot to look to. Um, I feel like we were, I felt very fortunate because uh, my husband works in for a software company where they um, manage and build webinar platforms. And so his company actually helps with a lot of the virtual events and conferences anyway, so we kind of knew people could make that, which, which, was which, really is great. which is really great, a great resource to have. So we just, and we were fortunate because we are a radio station, so we already have this platform to broadcast this virtual event just through our station. Um, so again, we have an amazing staff, and we just really quickly got together, you know, virtually, and figured out what the best, you know, kind of attack was to go virtual, and we found the right virtual platform, we made the radio show we wanted to do, and and the people who had already sponsored or donated were happy to uh, keep on donating and be a part of that virtual program, and people were really happy to participate. So it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, it, I think we've all learned, and all of us have learned so much during this time. Right. Picked up a lot of great skill sets that I think will be really useful even after the pandemic. And you guys can mold this business as well, too. Yes, yeah, and that, you know, that was really great because uh, that was brand new to us because I know a lot of other nonprofits have used mobile bidding for their in-person events, and I always thought it was really neat. Um, it's normally a really expensive option to add to your fundraising platform, but obviously this became a necessity, and a lot of these platforms are really great, and people bring a lot of discounts because they know. So it was nice to kind of be forced to learn how to do that, and you saw really, I mean, I remember my mom was like, oh, it was so fun. I kept bidding on this one thing, and then, you know, like people just, it's like a game if it's on your phone. So, yeah, so it was a great learning experience. We're talking about the challenges. What's been the successes or maybe the best, the most rewarding thing? Yeah, I mean, for me, the most rewarding parts are any time I get to go out and speak to those who are raising support groups and I get to interact with people in the community. And especially to hear their very, for the people who are listening, to hear their very personal connection mm -hmm. to TIC. Um, you know, we have an individual, her name's Carrie McDonald, who she actually facilitates our low vision support group that we run uh, every other month on TIC. Um, but I remember her saying, you know, um, she's a mom with uh, three kids, I think she's in her 40s, and she, I remember her saying when she was a teenager, her mom brought her a TIC radio, and she was born without sight, and she, she just thought it was the coolest thing that this thing was made just for her. You know, and it was a service that was completely dedicated to her, and you just can't put a price on it hearing stories like that, like it means so much to people and sometimes it's easy to forget when you're in the grind, right, of like mm -hmm. running your nonprofit, right, and you're trying to get all like the, the business end stuff done yeah. and then like you hear a story like that and it just, you're like, that's right, like that's what right. this is all about, yeah. you know, and, and we hear a lot of stories like that um, and it's just, you know, it's incredible. What's something about working in a nonprofit world that most surprises you about? I, so it's... So for <laughs> someone that does it, that, that's not involved. Right, I think it's, <laughs> I, I thought about this for a while because, you know, I've been it for a long time mm -hmm. and I, so it's hard to like, forget that not everyone is in this world, right? Um, I think people would be surprised, like, just how gritty it can get sometimes. Meaning, like, what you have to 
the little stuff you really have to do. Like, I just remember, like, and this is back when Jim was the director, like, we were trying to remodel our, our offices, and he was, like, in the hallway painting. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, painting the walls, and we're like, nonprofit life, there yeah. it is. Like, he's the executive director, and there he is painting the hallway. It's, it's those sorts of things. It's, I've, I've been on, I was know. on a ladder a couple weeks ago. So. Right, exactly. It's, you know, you don't have this huge hierarchy of people and minions to, like, you know, delegate stuff right. to. You're like, all right, I guess this is and us. A lot of times it's you're the one that has to do that work because everyone else is doing the important exactly. production work, you know, right? especially. You exactly. know, I want John Shea to keep making sure. Yeah, I want to make sure, sure my programming know? is still in the air and we're right. still in the air. So. I will disassemble this desk right now. Right, yeah. <laughs> the, the, amount of, the amount of pieces of equipment and yeah. furniture I've assembled here is yeah. unbelievable. You know, I, you know, I always say, I think, with a lot of things, but especially in the nonprofit world, you know, you really have to have the heart for the struggle. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think as long as you have it, it doesn't seem like a struggle. It's certainly very possible, mm-hmm. though. <laughs> you know, it has. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to say to our listeners? Yeah, I just, I want our listeners to know, you know, if you if you have low vision or you know someone who has low vision, you know, let them know about us because the more people we know, the more people we can help. And I think a lot of people don't realize that most of our listeners aren't necessarily even people who are born blind. A lot of people get this connotation that it's the person with the cane or the dog. A lot of our listeners are seniors who are aging up, and they're losing their sight due to macular degeneration or glaucoma or something like that. Um, and that's not all the listeners, but there's a lot of them. And so I think people don't think of those individuals as needing this sort of assistance or service. And it really, it's very helpful to them because those are people who are used to having sight their whole life, and they're used to waking up early in the newspaper, and their autonomy is slowly being stripped away mm-hmm. as their sight goes away. They can't drive anymore, right? They can't read anymore. So... Um, so I think it's important to remember that population. And if you have a parent who's aging up and, and could use the service, please give us a call. Well, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. This is great. Yes, it was fantastic. Thank it's you. Wonderful.